you've become quite the detective, Manola. Did you find the gunpowder and the bombs? I did. Why would she? I shudder to think. Perhaps she wants to change the world. Perhaps it's a world that needs changing. Will you stop her? I don't get involved in politics. Or people, either. Unless they're clues. Well, welcome to Book Club, Laura. I'm excited Yay! Thank you for this having is a bizarrely appropriate one for you and I to be doing together. Okay, yeah. If you don't know the reason why, I will certainly tell you. But yeah. I want you, before we start, to plug the amazing whip anthology that everyone should buy <laughs> that you're in. So... Thank you, Nora. <laughs> WIP is a London-based comic collected group, and every year we've done an anthology. This year we have two books. One is about success and one is about failure. About 15 artists in each, each with unique stories in how to tell those two subjects. And it's just been released. It's fantastic. They're both fabulous. Um, and yeah, recommend definitely getting... Where can you buy them? the whip comics website which i think it's whip-comics.co.uk i should have pulled okay. that up before i said it but um yeah they're on a sh that you could buy them online um we were meant to be going to thought bubble and they will be available in thought bubble festival as well but um yeah, yeah they're so, so good i just to our listeners i just read them and they're so funny and just it's such a it's a good little like treat take a little break and read them and it just makes you put a smile on your face. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of anthologies cause I like short stories yeah. and I like different people's opinions or perspectives and kind of, yeah, variety of short stories, which is what an anthology is. And so I really think that this is what I would read as well. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many people I, I'm now following on Instagram from reading it. I'm like, oh, this person's so good. I need to see what else they do. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been really successful, especially because the year we've had lockdown. Usually we've had weekly meetings at the South Bank Centre. But now our usually is every once a month, meeting once a month online. And you'd think sometimes, well, I think my preconceived idea was that without the physical meetings, mm -hmm. I, we would lose touch or we wouldn't have that same support network feeling. But actually, it's been exactly the same and it's still really inspiring and fun to go to the meetings and see what everyone is working on. So, yeah, you should come sometime, Nora, even if you just like hang out. Yeah, I could do that. I can yeah. really people share their it. ideas. <laughs> like people share their ideas and people have, you know, they're looking for commentary or, or criticism for mm. their ideas. And that's what's really interesting when you work with people and you see their ideas developing, if you suggest something or if something doesn't work, if you don't think something works right, mm -hmm. um, having other people like bounce ideas off, it's, it's great. So That's to cool. anyone listening, if you're interested in getting some helpful criticism or meeting other artists and are interested in comics, look up WIP. In, yes, in, it's a meetup group as well. Yeah. So if you, it's just type it into meetup and yeah, it's online now. Yeah, so. it's really cool. And we both know the person, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm familiar with that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I should, yeah, we should say as well, there are two. So Joe's um, meetup group is the general kind of feedback, social side of things. And then there is a structured learning 
aspect of it who's run by Chloe and that is also really really good even if you're quite an experienced comic creator there's always something to learn she's so well researched so thorough uh, and they're really engaging as well she put so much effort into not just having it as a lecture so I yeah. really recommend that to everybody as well but yes, you have a comic in one of them. And I, w I won't say which one it is because they should buy both of them and then they can find out which one you're in. And yeah. it's really good and it's really funny. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's like unintentionally funny, sadly. Yeah, I didn't want to. I was really particular about it without giving too much away, but I was really worried that I would come off. It would have like a bitter tang or, or, or seem a bit attacking. Yeah. So I'm glad if that's not, I, I, I don't think I've, it would have been so easy to just go super like angry about it yeah but, but there are some very yeah. funny bits of anatomy drawn that i quite yeah. enjoyed <laughs> it's funny, it's some anatomy. <laughs> but, yeah that was an ordeal in itself <laughs> but to another story yeah Nola holmes i've got some notes as well i'm going to pull them up I will mention if you haven't, if you didn't read it yet about the details of the film, but we can't talk about it until we talk about the book. It was adapted by Jack Thorne, who adapted Radioactive. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, it adds a different element to it. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first book so we're going to talk about the book first it's by nancy springer and the the title because the titles of the book are the titles of the cases of the stories it's the case of the missing marquess but is it he's a marquise marquess the what form of it i don't know i have no idea i didn't really know how to say that word um maybe i should have looked it up well, i can i think it. i've been saying it marquis well that's how marquis. i would say because that's because I would think Marquess is the female form, no? Oh, so Marquess is sometimes confused with Marquis. So apparently they're two different things. Okay, I'm looking at this. <laughs> the French version is Marquis. The British version is Marquess. No, in the film, I think they say Marquis. Uh, the woman or wife is called Marquess, is, uh, of a Marquess is called Marchioness, but I'm probably saying that wrong. Is that what they call the mother? Let's go to. I think so. Yeah. yeah. She. No. I. Word. She. I thought she was the dow dowager. That's the grandma. But yeah, maybe I've. I don't know. Maybe I read it somewhere actually. Yeah. So French is marquis. In U British English, it should be mar marquise. I think. I didn't know that. I don't know about royal titles. I thought she I thought the dowager was like a countess and he gets like upgraded to a count I thought that's what they said in the film but yeah they mentioned something I also didn't get the okay we're going too much into the film actually now thinking yeah about I know okay we'll, we'll get to that but okay I, I'll say the case of the missing marquise and I will be corrected potentially it's fine <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna call him what is his nickname Tuki. <laughs> Tuki, yeah. His whole name I struggled with. I just sort it, of it did. I think at one point as I was reading it, as I was watching the film, I like wrote it down phonetically to try and remember how to say it out loud. <laughs> Good point. So this is the first book in the Enola Home series. There's six books. It was written between 2007 and 2010. So this came out in 2007. Nancy Springer is quite impressive. She's very accomplished. She's written over 50 books, 
most of them YA series. She's won two Edgar Allan Poe Awards, which is the crime novel awards. Mm -hmm. She was born in New Jersey and currently lives in Florida. She's also, from what I gathered looking online about her, she's working on a new sort of spin-off series and iteration, new updated iteration of Enola Holmes. So like what she's doing now. Because I think the book series, you know, spoilers, it ends with her and her brother kind of setting up agency together, Sherlock, because she ages throughout the series. So then they have their own detective agency by the end of it. And there's also a graphic novel series. I don't know if you've seen it, which is really cool. Oh. It's really nice. It was a French publisher who did it, but you can read it in English as well. Maybe that's where I saw... Because when, when you first approached me about this, I think I read that it was a graphic novel somewhere. Yeah. That, now that you've said that, it makes me think that I must have read it. I must have seen that somewhere. Yeah, I remember reading it because I read the graphic novel ages ago and I thought, oh, this is really sweet. Nothing amazing, but it was, it was cute. It's really nicely done. And I pulled up... So she, when asked about the film and all this stuff, because originally it was meant to be a TV series and then it became the film... She said she didn't really have anything to do with any of the Hollywood stuff. So that was kind of all developed on its own. But when she was talking about Enola, I really liked her vision of it. She said, Enola had polite yet distant family relations. She had spent her childhood running wild, a friendless oddity, yet society expected that she would grow up to conform to restrictive norms. She couldn't, she wouldn't. To a much greater extent than I had previously realized, Enola was me. Oh, that's nice. Which I really, really liked. I thought that was a great, how she sees Enola, I thought was really lovely. Mm, okay, yeah. And then when talking about it being developed into film was that she went to London to see some of the shooting, but she didn't see the film till it was on Netflix. Though she did okay. say they would have let me see the film in advance, but I wanted to see it with everyone else. And after the trailer came out, I was so excited that I thought my head would explode. And now that I finally see the movie, I'm quite serene again in the state of euphoria. And yes, I liked it, loved it, especially the humorous Victorian elements, like the pop-up people that they do in the film. But she said the only criticism she had was she didn't like them disguising Enola as a boy. Okay, yeah. But I thought I, you know, from the author's mouth, cause it's always, whenever we do this, you sort of have to respect does the author like the vision that the directors have had of their work? So Yeah, it does make me feel happier. If she'd come out and said like, because, okay, we won't get into it too quickly, but yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I liked a lot of the film. I, I'm still, we'll get well, into it. Well, as we the, break it down, we can, I always, sometimes my feelings are stronger or not as strong by the time I get to the end of us talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. So the summary of the book, when Enola Holmes, sister to the detective Sherlock Holmes, discovers her mother has disappeared, she quickly embarks on a journey to London in search of her. But nothing can, pre can prepare her for what awaits, because when she arrives, she finds herself involved in the kidnapping of young Marquess, fleeing murderous villains and trying to elude her shrewd older brothers, all while attempting to piece together clues to her mother's strange disappearance. Amid all the mayhem, will Enola be able to decode the necessary clues and find her mother? Will she? So you read the book first, or? Yes, okay. I did. I read the book first. It's really nice, like, it's good one sitting book. I mean, a, yeah. yeah, very quick read. Mm -hmm. The book starts off in a bit of a prologue. We're in the East End in 1888. 
she describes roaming around these dark, gritty streets of London. She's a seeker in the soft, looking for the black-veiled hunter, to use the author's words. And you get this very depraved and desperate version of London, even a mention of a lady of the night, <laughs> which I suppose is says eight plus on the book, I think. <laughs> Wait, does it? I was going to ask that, actually. I, uh, that. I thought age is eight up and up on the back. Okay. I mean, it felt, I don't know, I would say maybe a little bit older than that. I think if I was like 11, I think this would have catch my attention. Yeah. I would have said eight was too young, but I also have no idea. Yeah, we're not children. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I have no kids. I've got no idea. So chapter one, she talks about the fact that her mother has named her Nola which is which is backwards alone and gives like a bit of a backstory on their relationship and it opens on her 14th birthday and her mother has disappeared she said she was going out to paint but never comes back and we're introduced they live in Ferndale Hall with Mr. Lane the butler and his wife and a collie dog named Reginald the next day, her mother still hasn't reappeared, so she goes about searching the fields of the estate for her mom and decides she's not coming back. So she writes a letter to the local constable and her two brothers, Mycroft and Sherlock, to inform them her mother is missing. I quite liked her. She kind of starts explaining like how having an estate works, like collecting the money from the local town, like yeah. the actual structure of it was quite interesting which I didn't yeah. I hadn't really known before I thought it was quite good for world building mm-hmm. they said it in a real sense like, yeah. a re- like actual this is what happened in that time for these kinds of people of that stature yeah. it really helped ground it's like how it. does someone with a title make money oh you collect I guess it's like some sort of tax that you collect from the houses located on the land that your property technically owns yeah i would have so yeah i just thought it added a little bit of like texture mm-hmm. to the actual world that's yeah i agree so they live next the nearest village is kinford village which is where she goes and she sends the telegrams off and then she goes around and interviews the local townspeople which i thought was really cute and then she figures out and I quite like sort of you know notating the the little clues as you're going along so she discovered she's like oh my mom left my paint set her paint set but she said she was painting so that's weird Mm -hmm. and then figuring out oh she wore this really odd outfit that these bits of clothes are missing and which I I noted was the turkey back jacket and the gray hat like that wouldn't be what she normally would do so she's trying to piece together things. So you already get like a hint of her like thoughtfulness and intelligent and deductive reasoning. Yeah. But I liked how it wasn't, she's still quite a normal person. Mm-hmm. So I think the whole book, obviously it's overshadowed by the two older brothers who are meant to be these, these genius minds. But I'd never got the feeling that she was like like her brother's otherworldly intelligent Mm -hmm. she seemed still quite grounded and for want of a better word normal and just that she was able to kind of think things through rather than just getting it like like that just knowing Um, I thought that was pretty good yeah I like that and she seems to have better social skills (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah which okay if we just touch on her name 
I was expecting it to have more meaning throughout mm-hmm. the book. And I know she does everything on her own, sort of, anyway. She stands up for herself and... I, d- I still... I don't get the... I don't, I don't get the impression that she's a lonely person. No, she or, never seems sad. She never is like, oh, crying because there's no one there to help her. Or that she's like disempowered by being alone. Yeah. Or empowered by being alone. She just is on, she's doing things. She's getting, she's getting shit done. <laughs> like, And she never, she never actually feels sad or like because her mother's disappeared. She's more like, what's happened to my mom? I should find her. Yeah, it doesn't feel like her name being backwards alone has any meaning whatsoever. No. I, and I kept, ex- maybe it was, maybe it has, I also thought though, maybe there are elements of this book that are setting up for the next yes. few. Definitely. Right? So maybe that comes into later. But I didn't feel, I, I thought it was, I forgot, basically. Well, I forget, because they use it in the film as well, what the line that the mum says to her like you're better off alone or something like You'll that. You'll do well alone. Yes. Well, you know, the idea she doesn't need a man and she can go off and take care of herself. Mm. It's just the word alone, the connotation of it is quite sad, but she's not sad. She's- yeah, no. And it didn't hammer it down as well as if, you know, because it could have been played up kind of um, don't trust other people and, you know, you're better off alone. It wasn't that side of things. It was more just, yeah, you'll you'll do well. You'll be fine. Everything will be fine. Yeah. Other than, yeah, against other people. So she goes to Chauc- Chaucer Lee, which, by the way, both of these places that we've just talked about, I looked them up and they don't seem to be real places unless they were names of villages and they've changed since then, which is possible. Mm, yeah. So that's the nearest train station she goes to. She cycles quite early. She's quite avid cycler, which is something to note. <laughs> yep, yep. Question number one, but let's go. <laughs> yeah, she goes and she sort of reflects back that she hasn't seen her brother since she was four, which was at her father's funeral. And you, I think this is when you get the story about how she was an accident, that her mother was a lot older and how embarrassing it was that she had a child at that age because her brothers were pretty much grown at that point. She mentions Mycroft has a career in government and Sherlock is a detective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) We didn't know. (laughs) And she arrives, they don't recognize her. And then they berate her because she doesn't have a cab to take them. And I think she she starts crying at this point because she's sort of upset at them. But I think she's more upset at at the mistake. She didn't realize that she wasn't meant to meet them. She was meant to pick them up. I read it more that she has lost her mum, has had to call her older brothers. Yeah. And then the first thing she, you know, I would have thought in my, if I was in that situation, I would have wanted some semblance of comfort yeah. from my brothers. And then for them to not reciprocate and instead instead just cut me down, I'd burst into tears. It was yeah. like the long, this is the end of the stick kind of, this is too much, too many, yeah. too many things. Um, I agree. That's what the I but even like those little moments I thought were really real I know I'm, I'm keep going back to this but there isn't a fantasy element of it at all mm-hmm. I think these, these even interactions like that are little uh true to character true to the age true mm-hmm. to the kind of setup moments so I thought it was yeah, it was good yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was pretty good so they also deduced that 
the mum wasn't using any of the money that Mycroft had, had been sending them because in theory he said that he had paid for a cab and she's like, we don't have a cab. What are you talking about? So they go home and then they start investigating the mother's bedroom. We find out that she's 64. So she would have been 50 when she had her, which is actually quite mature, I think, yeah. by today's standards. Yeah. And both of them think that she's just taking the money and run off and is living some new life somewhere, which is quite sad <laughs> and upsetting for her, as well as they talk about the fictitious accounts for the estate because the estate is completely run down. And Mycroft, I don't know if this is the point where they talk about the fact that Mycroft is the one who technically actually owns the house. Yeah, because it's the father's... Yeah. He's his heir, so he would. That's, that's where we learn about the, how it's passed down and stuff, right? She runs off because she's obviously pissed at them, and she's like, you know, I was so excited to have him there, and now they're just being jerks. So she goes to her little hiding place in the woods, and Sherlock finds her, and he says they kind of have a heart to heart, but it's still not necessarily very bonding. No. And he says he's going to leave her with Mycroft and Mycroft deci- decides that he wants to send her to boarding school and they have this huge standoff. And I'm glad she stands up for herself in this moment where she's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, if we must negotiate, like, have a governess for me, but I'm not leaving my home. She finds out then the story that it was actually the mother who banished them from the house and said, because Mycroft didn't really want to live there. And she said, you know, give me the funds and I'll take care of the house and raise Enola here. And I, I, qu- I quite like this because it's, you know, the world is what the world is, but her mother managed to manipulate the circumstances to allow her to have freedom mm, yeah. within the sort of very misogynistic kind of against her world that she's lived, that she has to live in. Yeah. The impression I got is that she was using Mycroft's ego Mm-hmm. And the fact that you want to keep the house, you don't want to get rid of the house. You don't want to live here. You want to have your high life in London. So you go and do that, and I'll make I'll make sure everything is kept the way you like it over here. So it's more just playing to him anyway. Yeah. Other than yeah, mutually anything mutual for her. But yeah, she had the money anyway. Good for her. Yeah, I know. I respect to her to figure out how to live in a society that's against her. Also, I started to note that it kind of felt like the author had, and you see this in the film as well, kind of switched the social skills of Mycroft and Sherlock, where Sherlock seems a little more emotionally attuned and Mycroft is more of a awkward <laughs> fellow, I guess. I, yeah, no, I always thought that that was the thing, that Mycroft was like the really, really to the everything by the book mm-hmm. that he would be the more I know I thought the the characters in the book are actually quite I don't know I got the impression that they were set to the my expectations mm-hmm. exactly. I mean certainly Mycroft is more conservative of the, of the two yeah but he felt I don't know my just interpretation was he was more socially awkward than Sherlock was which didn't necessarily make sense like I don't know. I mean, neither of their social skills. They, <laughs> I mean, they both. It both leaves a lot to be deci- uh, desired. And to be honest, I kind of had expected when I knew that they were going to be introduced to this book because I didn't really, I didn't think 
that they would be. I thought it would just be about Enola Holmes, so I didn't yeah. expect to see them. But I also thought that I almost expected them to have different personalities. I thought yeah. that he, I thought uh, Springer would introduce her own take on the characters. So when they were introduced and they were the same as what I recognised them to be, you know, like the sticklers, big London hard men. Um, <laughs> uh, that's how, yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah, I was like, okay, she's going to stick by that. So then she's trying to figure out how to, you know, she's upset trying to figure out how to get out of this situation. And then at this point, I felt like I was a little bit step ahead of her. But again, this is a children's book. So I was like, Cypher, Cypher, the present she left her. And then she realizes, oh, yeah, there's that Cypher my mom left me. Maybe there's a clue. Yeah. So she's up all night and she solves a Cypher, which leads her to a painting that her mom did in her bedroom of chrysanthemums where her mom hid her 100 pounds, very nice, which is obviously reference to the money that the brother was probably sending, and that was it. Then you have five weeks later, which is quite a long time, actually, and she gets fitted for an outfit for her new school, and she's playing sick during the day so she can stay up all night solving the ciphers, and she's collecting more money that her mom's left around the house, which... Seems like a lot of work. Like her mom could, I don't understand the sort of ploy of it all. The little breadcrumbs. Yeah. yeah. Neither did I. And I think the film deals with it in a much better way. <laughs> like much better. Yes. So the and fact that it must be a lot of money that she's gotten by the end of this. Doesn't it say she goes every day, every night? Yeah. It makes it sound like she's up every night looking at. For money. Things. Yeah. So, and some of the clues she can't even solve. Then finally she has to go to the school and she gets into a cab with, I think it's the son of the butler. They go to the train station. She tricks him and manages to find escape and get to her bicycle. And then she starts cycling to London. So I don't know how far she is because it's a fictional town, but it sounds like very far. So she starts cycling to London and I quite liked this in the book. They had her seeing all the different characters and types of people that you would run into in the countryside. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice done. So you get gypsies, peddlers, farmers, just sort of random people she runs into. And then she stumbles upon a town called Belvedere Tonsurum. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just quickly see if this... It does not sound like a real place. No, no, not a real place. Interesting that she would make them up. I feel like there are plenty of fancy sounding British towns you could There are from. loads of towns that don't sound real and are real. Yes, so she felt she needed to make one up, all right, each her own. So she gets to train station and she sees that there are a bunch of police arriving and it's because the vice count of Tewkesbury of Baselweather Hall has disappeared. <laughs> it's quite a mouthful. I can't remember. How does she find out? Does she find out she hears something and then... Well, then she decides to stay and then she reads the details of it in the newspaper. Because she sees the picture of him, doesn't she? Yes. He's like all prettied up. Yes. So she she's reading the newspaper to find out what's happened and he's 12 years old and she can 
tell that like he's dressed up to look like a baby doll essentially and she's like yeah. oh i know this type of mother so yeah just keeping him as her little baby there's a there's a comment about how she can't believe he's 12 because uh, like assuming it, he looks as if he's dressed up like a five-year-old yeah which also you can see like she's already tuned to being like i totally know what this mother-son relationship is yeah She's curious enough that she's like, okay, well, I can wait. There's a train every hour. I'm going to go see what's happening. And she goes to the Basel Weather Hall and she poses as the assistant to her brother and says she... By accident, though, doesn't she? She, like, has this whole plan to have a fake name and then she accidentally says her real name. Yeah. And she's like, ah, drat, you know. (laughs) I had this plan. And she realizes, like, I got to still work on my (laughs) detectiveing. She runs into, and this is the fir- first time where I'm like, okay, this character is going to turn up to be something. Madame Layla, who is a astral paradoctorial? No, I'm not saying that right. Paradoctorial? Yeah. I just had it open on that page as well. Um, I need yeah. it written phonetically. But a spiritualist medium. But she looks for lost things through the astral planes, is essentially the idea. And she's also there to help with the search of the Viscount. So she starts to go exploring around the estate and she finds the Viscount's hiding place in a tree. And she also discovers all his paraphernalia about boats and ships. And from that, she deduces like, oh, well, he's probably making a run for it to join a ship and be a sailor. She runs into Detective Lestrade, who we know from every Sherlock story. Oh, I forgot to ask actually before we started. Have you read the Sherlock books? Back in the day. Yeah. I think I, I listened to a few when we were on holiday and I had a CD that I borrowed from the library. It was that kind of... Yeah. But yeah, I've, I, think I think I've read most of them actually. Or I yeah. do have like a complete collection that I, I think I made pretty much all, almost all the way through. And then obviously I've seen a million different TV and film iterations. Mm, yeah it. I wonder if it's probably like up there in like one of the most adapted book material I, yeah I was thinking about this earlier I was thinking about this when I was watching um Carolina do her talk on outfits yeah <laughs> which we'll talk about as well but I was thinking how there have been there's been a Sherlock like every decade more or less. I mean, I, every oh. year, I would say. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. There's the Benedict Cumberbatch TV series, and then there's also the film series with Jude Law and what's his face? Oh my God, I forgot. Iron Man. I forget his name. Yeah. But, yeah. and those are like the two most recent successful ones. And I'm sure there's been other things that I'm just not paying attention to, but I wonder. I suppose there's a question for us to ask at the end of this. Why is Sherlock so adaptable? Or so, so many people want to adapt it? Yeah. I guess, I, yeah, I don't... I, I have no idea. I'm thinking, like, another example. I don't know. The book of the same thing. Is it just, like, mysteries and mind puzzles? Somebody once said... Um, did you ever watch... Oh, shit, what's that? Uh, Jonathan's Creek. Yeah, that? I like yeah. that series. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was it's good. the same sort of thing about it's just mystery that you have to follow along with. And 
something similar to that. Yeah, I, I have to mull over it as we're talking about this. I never watched the, is it Lucy Liu who did the female home? Oh, yes, I forgot about that. That was really good as well. I've I never watched, watched that. It. Yeah, I think I heard quite bad reviews. But oh, no, I didn't think it was, a, I mean, it's very its own thing. But so is this. I yeah. think, like, it's been so adaptable, but, you know. So, yeah, it's just they're great characters. Like, they're very yeah. well thought out. It's good writing. It's very clean, straightforward. Oh, and uh, House MD. That's another one that's been, like... Oh, I don't uh, know that one. With Hugh Laurie. That's oh, yes, 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 yes. Wait, yeah. is that meant to be based off of this? Yeah, and how... Realize that. Yeah, it's, par- it's par- well, it's parallel to Sherlock Holmes, but in a medical setting where he's Sherlock, obviously, kind of this savant detective, yeah. and then Wilson is Watson, kind of like the counterpart. Oh, pairing oh my gosh, then, I never even realized that. Yeah, and then she is uh, Cutty is Lestrade, I okay. think, like kind of the the yeah. policy one. There's no brother, I think. I think even there, there was something similar. I don't know, I can't remember now. But yeah, oh, wow. another adaptation, but in a completely different setting. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. There's tons of. <laughs> right. So she lets Lestrade know that he's run away to the London docks. And then she's like, I've done my duty. And then she goes off, gets the train to London. And her journey there, she's seated next to this kind of like kooky old lady. She's like, oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable. Please leave me alone. We've all had those train experiences. <laughs> I thought, right, sorry. I thought this bit in the book yeah. was really awkward to read because yeah. I was so used to like Enola's voice being quite polite and not being judgmental to people. Mm-hmm. And then she sees this woman, she's just judging. <laughs> like, it's so judgmental and mean. I was there, like, God, you don't know who this woman is or where she's yeah. going or alive. And yet she's been so like, like really pointedly mean. <laughs> Doesn't the woman though accuse her of being says that she's like pregnant? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's just nodding because she doesn't want to talk to her. Yeah. No, I really related to that moment as well, but also I felt like, oh. It just it felt very real, all of us stuck on like a plane or a train and someone just won't stop. Yeah. Yeah. And you're having mean thoughts and you shouldn't, but yeah. Yeah. But she does give you, it comes in later, the woman recommends a secondhand clothes shop in London for her to go to if she ever needs to sell anything. At this point, I kind of suspected like maybe the old lady and then the Madame Layla were someone else in disguise, just the way they were (laughs) described, like they're going to come into play. She, once she gets into London, she gets off at Aldersgate Station, which is the original name of the Barbican Station, by the way. Didn't know that. That's a good Mm-hmm. She goes to the East End and she's wandering very dirty streets of London. The way they describe it is really, really dark. Yeah, it's really... I was yeah. quite surprised. I, I think this whole... this I liked this section of the book because it took a turn, mm-hmm. especially because there's earlier parts of the book where she talks about London being this incredible, gold-paved, all the gentlemen, like her, the, her expectations of her brothers, where all the gentlemen have like top hats and all the women are like beautifully like elegant everyone's going to the opera all the time yeah and yeah she she talks about how it's theater and opera and music and culture and then what her what she's actually experiencing is the absolute opposite of that and she talks about these horrible scenes of people crawling on their knees and 
like starved children and women with scabs on their face and stuff like this and hardly any hair I just thought like that's I'm I don't like <laughs> I know I was like for a children's book as well I was like this is very real <laughs> yeah and I mean the whole section after this point gets quite like gross and full-on um and yeah this is the this sort of like yeah this is the, the pace of the book after this point gets really really quick yeah yes so I'm just following along as you describe it and we're already I want to say three three quarters into it we've got a quarter of the yeah. book left to go <laughs> so as she's walking about she gets accosted <laughs> well assaulted really mm. and it's so I forgot to mention on the train she saw like some guy's face looking at her and she's like who's this This is weird and it's the same man who's on the train who's obviously following her and then he just tries to stab her yeah out of nowhere I I was gonna say because Nancy Springer is American Mm -hmm. but I want to know where she got all this inspiration about London from so before this she did a few other retellings reading about it it was originally I think it was her publisher who pitched her doing like a Jack the Ripper thing or some sort of this period London Mm. and she had done I think it was Robin Hood and then another sort of classic British character and it doesn't say anything of her about her actually traveling here but she's done a lot of research in doing several book series about London and England yeah for this yeah okay that that tracks oh yeah so carry on sorry so it is sort of like the jack the ripper london though the way she describes the scenery of this yeah it feel like that yeah and the idea of the contrary between what enola thinks london is and then what it really is i thought that was i don't know i thought maybe maybe this woman has done her research mm-hmm. and and had a look yeah and all the quarantine things as well yeah oh yeah i forgot about that do you think maybe that'll come into play because i I got the impression that she'd researched what it was like at that time Mm -hmm. so all of the points of reference that she's doing like the quarantine on the doors like the people crawling around like the people with the scabs and that and then what did they refer to the people as like crawlers yeah yeah crawlers crawlers yeah i think so i think he says that tukey mentions the crawlers yeah and i so i got the impression that the way it's described makes me feel like she's done her research that was probably a thing yeah it sounds like it i I do think like that quarantine like putting the quarantine sign on doors (laughs) we might see that again (laughs) maybe it worked at that time like we need some sort of help the guy tries to stab her but she's wearing the corset and that's what saves her I think we, we haven't actually addressed that, have we? So when she planned her escape, yes. it, it's quite detailed in that she took elements of her mum's dress, like mm-hmm. um, her mum's wardrobe, that could that could pack little things that she might need. So she has she talks about wearing this corset and these hip enhancers and, and the like, bustle in the back, a bustle, and she's basically shoving the cash in there, shoving like a little pen knife and everything she might need to keep close to her person in these elements of the dress and yeah so she's got this corset on that she doesn't really like wearing but she's wearing it as part of like pockets Mm -hmm. (laughs) no I love it's a bit earlier on but when she describes the different elements of an outfit that she like a traditional woman would wear I found it really interesting I thought that was kind of cool as well and something that's not really touched on a lot 
that you know these undergarments the how it, the dresses were actually structured back in the day mm-hmm. like the hip enhancers and stuff like that <laughs> it's like drag clothes it's like the padding right i'm thinking like we need to make this it needs to have a comeback in now yeah. <laughs> like in general mainstream we just but maybe a bit more comfortable yes he tried so she escapes him stabbing her so she's running away but then someone like tricks her to go inside a house and it's actually his colleague and then she gets knocked out and she wakes up and she's being held hostage in the hull of a boat and she notices that the vice viscount is with her in the boat as well so we meet tuki finally mm-hmm. and They're tied up as well aren't they yes she's tied up on the floor and he's tied up on a chair mm-hmm. all right yeah I I like this whole scene because not only was it genuinely frightening like when somebody when she's running and the person's like come in here miss you'll be safe I genuinely thought oh my god that's going to be too key that's going to die and then it wasn't and then when she wakes up I I got this impression maybe it was just the way I was reading it but I got it's really the way it's written makes you feel disorientated I didn't understand what was going on and when she said there was a figure in the corner like there was a figure in the room I was like, fuck, oh God, this is going to be shit. Like, I've already seen her almost stabbed, knocked out. Like, what is this figure going to be? And then it turns out to be Tuki tied up as well. She's really good at writing to make you feel the how disorientated that she is running around, yeah. just scrambling for her life. She can't really see clearly, so she's just kind of zigzagging. Yeah, that's really good. I know, I'm not sure they named them right away, but the two men's names are Cutter and Squeaky, <laughs> right? Yep. So they've kidnapped them. Originally, they thought she was Tuki's mom, I think, right? Mm, I thought they just they knew that she would know where he was. Yes. Well, the guy following her on the train, because it was actually, we don't find out yet, but it's actually the madam but he overhears her so he follows her because he thinks she's going to lead him to Tuki. Yeah. I realized that it was probably Madam when they described, I think it's Cutter with the red hair out of his ears. Okay, I didn't. Okay. I really, really didn't. And I think it's because, we'll go into this later, but when they describe Madam as having bright red hair, yeah, I, I skimmed over that part. So when I was reading that he also had red hair coming out of his ears, that was also something I skimmed over. I completely missed probably something that's quite a significant well, flag. <laughs> I think it was because when they described Madam, they described this like very distracting, voluminous, like unkempt hair, never her face. And you can tell that it's like this person is probably wearing a wig to descri- distract you from looking at her face. Mm, yeah. I, I kind of should have clocked it, I think, but I no. just skimmed right through it. They're kind of dialoguing her and Tuki, and she manages to take one of her the steel bar or whatever from her corset to saw off the rope from her wrist. The way she describes like her wrist bleeding because she's like stabbing herself, like oh, and it it goes on for just a little bit too long. And then when there's a there's a point where she's like, my arm popped. She says something about something popping, and she didn't know if it was her arm or the straight of the rope. And I was there like, oh, that's that makes me feel queasy. Like I yeah. got to my point of reading it where I was like, oh God, now you're talking about possible dislocation of your shoulder. <laughs> oh God. So, 
That was tough. I mean, she and then she manages to knock the guy who's with them, guarding them, knock him out, and they make a run for it. And they're the two of them are chasing him across the pier and across the docks, and they're frantically running. And she manages to figure out how to lead them to Kalhans, which is the name of the secondhand clothes shop that the old lady told them about. Her instinct for direction is quite amazing, I have to say. Yeah. Where's that? No Google Maps here. They get to the shop and she bribes the lady and it's the same lady from the train and she hides them in her shop and they crash there for a day and they get these new disguises. And she... Is this when she dresses as a lady? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Back to it. Yes, because then I remember, like, he has to dress. No, she dresses up like a blind person because she got little glasses on, so they oh, yeah. walk slowly beside her. Yes. Because he, at all this, throughout all of this, is barefoot. Mm-hmm. So he's been running through the streets of crappy London, and he's feet are te- torn up they have to get him like little socks and oh uh, also the p- point out that specifically in the book she says i won't dress up as a boy because that's what my brothers would expect me to do yes so she thinks that she's going to be better hidden by being what her brothers would expect from her the least which is like a high society lady yeah which i quite like so while they're there they see that someone's demanding ransom in the paper for tukey and they decide that they need to well she kind of decides for him like listen you have to stop this this is ridiculous now and is it and before so she's because she like throughout the book she draws a lot she she sketches and she draws sort of caricature portraits and she draws a picture of Madame Layla and then a picture of Cutter on the other side and she realizes that their faces match. Yeah. So I don't think there's anything else, but then they go to the Scotland Yard, right? And because kind of resi- they kind of re- resign that like the only way the family isn't going to have to pay the ransom to these charlatans is if he just turns himself in. Turns himself in. Because this whole time he has had she, Nola was right in that he was trying to make it to the ocean or to become a sailor and obviously his dreams were a bit squashed because he had no plan and he was captured and so he just sort of gives it up doesn't he he's like oh I'm better go home then and yeah. my family don't have to pay a ransom um, yeah and so, so she, yeah yeah so that she goes with him to drop him off and she sees Lestrade and Sherlock speaking and she's like, oh, I need to leave before they see me. And she makes a run for it. I really liked that whole scene. Because yeah. I was literally reading like, oh my God, she's come all this way. <laughs> she's done all of this. And then this is what happens. And I kind of, deep down, I knew that she was not going to get caught by Sherlock. Yeah. I also wanted to see how she gets out of it. Yeah. Like how she just like slinks out. I thought it was pretty good. I'm also like wondering, is Sherlock really being that dumb or is he purposely kind of letting her get away? I like the whole thing through the book where the pompousness of her brothers are their downfall with her. Almost like this idea of that they have a weakness in that they think they know better Mm -hmm. or they sort of like don't expect anything from her. 
because that she's just the young sister who cares kind of thing and then she she doesn't do too much to out not outwit them necessarily just out just outthink them she can kind of get round it yeah because she can trust that they'll be pompous and mm-hmm. undermining to her she also then decides that she's going to leave a cipher in the newspaper for her mum to find to try and see if she can get in contact with her and then we skip to so it's november and then you get these sort of flashes of scenes you get a scene of a nun in the east end helping the poor which you assume is her and then the author talks about the new offices of dr leslie raggettin and his assistant ivy meshla which was the name she originally wanted to use and no one ever sees dr leslie because he's so busy okay I don't know. I'm sure she she built Nancy Springer built such a grounded reality for the, the like the place that she lived when she, like when she was younger. For this to be like how how it's set up in London, I thought this is really weak. It was a little bit rushed, just like because yeah. there's no like how does she's 14? How does she sort all this out? Yeah, and surely you would have had to buy the place or rent the place yes well she said she has a ton of money so yeah but this is all in uh four months it's such a short book yeah nancy springer could have added two more page like a page just to describe (laughs) a little bit more about it just one page um she and then she gets a message from her mum saying that essentially she's okay and also, Enola slash Ivy decides she's going to be her own detective because she realizes that she can get places that her brother can't, Sherlock, that, you know, the thing, her, you know, because her brother, he overlooked, say, her mom as well as this young boy, and she has insights that he doesn't. Yes, and I think it was her mom's message was just, I'm living my best life. <laughs> so it wasn't even like I miss you or mm-hmm. anything like that. It was just I'm fine. I'm living my best life, and then it ends. And that's it. And I have to say, <sighs> I wanted her to find her mum. Yeah, <laughs> but I bet that's what the other books are for. I bet she does eventually. Yeah. And it also cuts so quickly. There's. Yeah. There's almost too much at the front end. Mm-hmm. And there's world building, but there are elements that could have just been cut out. Yeah. Uh, or things that go on. But it's such a short book. There's You could make this longer. It's not a big deal. It's not yeah, exactly. too long. And then the ending happens so quickly and then too quickly at the end. Yeah. Like the very end is like, the, oh, yeah, and then she rents this place and then she, her mom says she's fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Um, but. Yeah, I yeah, I think it's very well written otherwise. I love the description and the characters and I think yeah, she's same. really charming and lovely Enola Holmes. I really like her in this book. Cuz she yeah. she is a detective. Like she there are specific clues that she finds and she figures out and she's quite smart and sees things. It never feels like she's just she's the only person to see it. It feels like she's coming to the conclusion organically. Yes. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like she's a, like just a special. Only she sees it. It's something that she's just like deduced. Yes, yes by putting together the facts. Mm, yeah. 
So I would, I would definitely recommend the book to readers of a certain age. I think it's a very lovely series. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you've said. I think it's well written and um, easy to read as well. Yeah, no, definitely. So there was a film that came out. <laughs> so now we, now we start to talk we about it. get things. into it. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad. I really, really, I was reading so many reviews about this. And I was like, why don't I like this more? <laughs> I haven't read anything about it. Okay. Um, and actually, to be honest with you, I wasn't expecting a lot. So yeah. I think my bar was pretty low. Okay. And I've I'm come away from the film. Both Toms, you know, the two Toms both yeah. texted me to tell me they liked it. Yeah, like I think I was, but I was expecting it. Okay, Which I'll I'm tell annoyed you at. I, I tell them, do not text me before I've done an episode. I don't want to know your opinions. <laughs> yeah, afterwards. But I have to say, so before I started watching the film, yeah, I had, I am really not a fan of Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. And everything she's in, I kind of recoil from. It doesn't mm. matter that it's like Harry Potter or whatever. Yeah. I, I think she has a tendency to ruin films for me because she overacts so that was overact. that yeah yes. overacts I think good word also the fact that I knew that Henry Cavill was playing Sherlock I was like what the fuck Sherlock is this gonna be he's like <laughs> a stunning incredible like hunky man yeah I just thought that's not Sherlock to me no he's not meant to be eye candy not that I mind the eye candy but he's absolutely eye candy he's like the, the finest looking man <laughs> it's unnatural how good looking he is yeah so I didn't have high hopes because I thought this is going to be some Hollywood overacted over Englished you know like super hyper English mm-hmm. Victorian <laughs> melodrama well, but, well, I actually have to say that I think the actress and who plays Enola Holmes, Millie, what's her face? Millie Bobby Brown. She, the performance is much better than I thought it was going to be. And if you didn't think it was good, that probably means that my expectations were so low. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll break it down as we get along. So, yeah. It yeah. was released on September 23rd. It was produced by Legendary Entertainment and PCMA Productions. So Legendary Entertainment is very much like they get, did got, do Godzilla and very big Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this definitely seemed like it was meant to be in a theater, theatrical release and then Netflix in April said they were going to pick it up from what I read. It was directed by Harry Bradbeer, who directed Fleabag. Mm-hmm. And Killing Eve. And then also there's two other series that I noted, Dickinson and Sugar Rest. So knowing that it was directed by the guy who did Fleabag definitely explains a lot. Yeah, definitely explains <laughs> a lot. there was so much talking to the camera that I was like, I didn't realize this while I was watching it that he directed it. So I was like, my God, they're going heavy handed in the Fleabag references. Yeah, I also thought the same. Yeah. And then favorite screenplay writer, Jack Thorne. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, but if you told me that beforehand, I think all my preconceived ideas would have been turned up five five <laughs> notches. I would have thought, oh God, this is going to be the Hollywood. I was going to say the Hollywood romance. And yeah. actually that's where it goes. That's, it we'll, go, we'll go there in a second. But yeah, now it's all falling. It just makes sense. So he, 
I'm doing this one as well, and I'm really like pained that I'm doing it. He's also written a new adaptation of The Secret Garden. Oh. Yeah. So he did the Eddie, his Dark Materials, Radioactive, and anyone can listen to that episode and hear how we feel about that. Mm. The Aeronauts and Dirt Music. The two of them are actually collaborating on another film called Seance on a Wet Afternoon, which I think is an original one though. So it's starring Millie Bobby Brown, who everyone knows from Stranger Things as Enola Holmes, Henry Cavill, most good looking man in the world, plays Sherlock Holmes, the yeah. only thing people need to know about him. Sam Claffin plays Mycroft Holmes, who I remember him from Hunger Games. I quite liked him in this. I thought he, yep. he worked. Helena Bottom Carter uh, plays Eudora Holmes. Lewis Partridge plays uh, Vice Count Tewksbury with his very swishy hair. <laughs> then you, you have Byrne Gorman plays. I didn't realize he was named. So the baddie with the bowler hat, his name is Linthorne, but I don't remember ever hearing his name. Not in the film. He's Cutter in the book, isn't he? He's yeah. But guy. on the IMDb page, that's the listed name for him. Maybe it was Cut okay. and they did mention it. Adil Akhtar plays Lestrade. Susan Wakoma plays Edith. Francis de la Tour plays the Dowager. Fiona Shaw, who I quite like, plays Miss Harrison. We open with her cycling. And she does the same line from the work book where she talks about Enola being alone and I think quite a bit of this text is similar but then you have all these flashes of the scenes with her mom and them playing together and hanging out and how they're each other's best friends and constant companions and I did think it was cute Mm -hmm. I don't think I didn't have a problem with because in the book their relationship is not close in this way I didn't get that like her mother seems very aloof in the book like she kind of, she takes care of Enola, makes sure she's like an independent person, but she doesn't like mother her. She's kind of, because her mom's like more interested in her painting and going off and doing her own thing in the book for me. You get the impression in the book as well, because at one point it's saying how her mom has this private room yeah. that Enola is not allowed in. Yeah. You get the impression that there's always, a, there is a very uh, structured relationship and a wall between them. Mm-hmm. Look anyway. But yeah, the first part of the film I would have said was, the the language used is very similar to what the whole setup of the first part of the book is. She accidentally walks in on her mom meeting with a group of women and they're looking at this mysterious map, which is setting up for later in the film. And that's very specific to the film. So it's her 16th birthday. They've aged her up and her mom has disappeared. So that was something else as well. When we, when I, before I watched the film, Mm -hmm. I heard that she was, when you read that she's 14, and she does not look 14, I <laughs> no. Right? no, she absolutely looks, I thought they were going to age her right up. Yeah. So I thought it was really going to be a Hollywood sexed up mm-hmm. saccharine English romance drama. But I'm glad to, that she wasn't actually that old. She was 16. No, I think. Very relieved. Because isn't she, I don't even think, is she even 20, Millie Bobby Brown? I think she's. She's still very young, so I didn't have any problem passing for her as 16. No. no. Mrs. Lane gives her the gifts, and they're the same as in the book. She gets the paint set, the flower book, and the cipher. She's, then she mentions that she's not good at cycling because she's going cycling to train station to meet her brothers, which I'm sort of like, I don't really get. Yeah, I don't why know, they, why, why change it? That's, yeah. 
that seemed silly and also like again she's meant to be like a kind of badass character she knows how to ride a bike yeah so she picks up her brothers and this dialogue is pretty on point with the book the sort of mr holmes and mr holmes it's me Enola, your sister mm. they again berate her and they realize mycroft's money's gone missing and they call a carriage she doesn't cry in this scene and she right away is sort of like these guys are jerks and realizes that yeah she's been screwed in the brother department there's there's less adulation for them in mm-hmm. the film they're yeah. just separate from her and she knows them but she's not expecting any relationship with them at all yeah which i suppose is good she's a little more like i could care less about these guys yeah the brothers they get to the house and they're inspecting the room and Sherlock doesn't think she'll come back and then she's disguised her intentions and there's really no way to figure out what she's done and Mycroft makes it like a comment about like the feminism books that they have in the house <laughs> and all this I think that was I knew where the film was going with that comment because yeah. obviously that's not something in the book that's ever touched on mm-hmm. it kind of alluded to the mother having this independent life outside of marriage and how she's promoting Enola to have these thoughts of independence rather than dependence on a man or your your worth is related to your your the man you have in your life. That's implied in the book. But here, as soon as Mycroft says something like that, I'm like, oh, okay, I know where this film's going. I know it. Also, I started to notice at this point because you've kind of skipped a little bit of backstory in the book at this point and she doesn't do any snooping no yeah she doesn't she's not really a detective in the film no yeah not at this point anyway yeah no not throughout the whole film because i'm just sort of flashing forward yeah yeah she kind of just falls upon situations yeah rather than putting together information she's gathered to figure stuff out then there's a scene with Sherlock and Mycroft alone trying to discuss what they want to do with her and Mycroft insists because this is his home and the reason that they had he had only allowed his mother to stay there for 16 years to bring Enola up anyway so she needs to go to a finishing school she's, she's going to go to Mrs. Harrison's finishing school and she arrives in an automobile which quite upset me because <laughs> So this automobile was produced by Benz, of Mercedes-Benz, German company, and only 25 of them were made. I didn't think they were a real thing. You're telling me they're so, a real thing. So if you, uh, I wrote it down. So if you search the Benz gas-powered vehicle, which was made between 1885 and 1886, which also wasn't accurate because the film is meant to take place in 1884, and the the mainstream automobile that people, when it started to become popular, was in 1892. Damn, do your so, research. I know, because I was a little bit like, this is seeming very steampunky, that moment. I was- yeah, so I, this is where I started to get the feel, the, fe- the feeling that the film is just a little bit more fantastical than the book. The book yeah. goes to so much effort in grounding in reality, real life. And then the film, I felt, was just that little bit, little bit, fantastical magical kind of yeah. thing rather than because I thought that was an element of how she's meant to represent actually I don't know what she's meant to represent but how because it feels really poignant why is she using the car well she 
which also doesn't make sense to her character because there's a line because Mycroft is quite impressed that she has the car and she says something like, well, I'm an educator. I must stay with the times. Yeah. But she's also so conservative because she insists on Enola that she needs to wear an amplifier, needs to, you know, set her figure and she needs to lose weight, which is not staying with the times. It's also what you would feel you're independently driving with all of those things on. Yeah. Surely it doesn't help you drive if you're wearing a massive thing. I remember once I made myself a bustle to go to this party. You can't do any, you can't do fucking anything with a bustle. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do anything. You can't walk, you can't sit, you can't do anything. So it's just kind of a confusing portrayal of the character of the she's very modern and it has this very rare car that doesn't technically exist yet. <laughs> she's driving but she also is like making Enola conform to very old-fashioned standards yeah yeah well we know why that car is there because it comes in later it's a prop isn't it a prop but they could have figured out they could have ridden yeah. off on horses or something it's quite jarring as well when it does come it's not like it's yeah. introduced as a side thing like oh yeah I came on my car it's like she <laughs> makes an entrance yes and, and, and they mention it as well which is why i picked up on i don't think cars were mainstream enough that like someone who runs a finishing school can afford it mm. i think the other thing that made me think it was more fantastical was how this was the point where i thought that the film is deviating from the book yeah at the very start i thought it's going to track with the book alongside and then when this happens, because there's no, yeah, this, I thought, okay, this is, it's taking a different path. So you have a scene with Mrs. Harrison, who I, I do love Fiona Shaw, who's playing her. And I, I think she, as a character actress, she doesn't do a bad job. They have sort of an argument about her wanting to reject going to boarding school and the clothes that she would have to wear and the amplifier they mentioned in the corset which is a very tiny nod to what they talked about in the book but also I was sort of like is Millie Bobby Brown a good actor I thought she did a better job than what I was expecting yeah I just don't know if it's great or it seemed fine but it just didn't seem on par with everyone else and maybe I'm expecting too much or (laughs) I haven't seen Stranger Things Okay, me neither. Not enough of it to really have a gauge for it. I mean, she can still grow into being an actress, but I just felt like all the actors around her, they they were just a little smoother in their roles, like a little more comfortable, whereas I felt like she was acting, if that makes sense. I think I was... I could see her thinking the lines as she was saying them. I was expecting the other, right at the other end, I thought this was going to be an overacted Victorian melodrama. So the fact that she was actually quite measured and realistic dialogue and interaction with the other characters, that for me made me <laughs> it. Otherwise I would have been so turned off. And I can't even give you an example of something I would have expected it to be like. Mm-hmm. I was just, yeah. So I actually was pleasantly surprised okay. with how like average it was not over not theatrical it was quite sad film rather than theatrical over the top I blame the toms for making my expectations too high 
<laughs> yeah, you've got to be like me, extreme low. Yeah. <laughs> like, really. But I also think the script was pretty good throughout as well. So that it didn't see there was only too many clangers, I thought. Yeah. So that helped. So she has a bit of, a, she has a conversation with Mycroft about her not wanting to go to boarding school. And there's like this very odd flirtation with a Mrs. Harrison and Mycroft. <laughs> Yeah. it felt very out of place I was like what are you doing like these people should not be flirting with each other no it was weird wasn't it it just felt very out of place I was like mm. yeah. <laughs> so she runs off to her tree which is her hiding place in the film and she's drawing and Sherlock finds her and they have this sort of it's dialogue and she drops her caricature of Mycroft that she's drawn and he talks about this memory of her as a child his like only real memory of her as a child carrying around this little pine cone pet which is quite endearing i want one <laughs> you do you can take one. one a little dash i, yeah. I really want one there will I'm it was very it. sweet actually yeah. and because she confronts him about the fact that they didn't visit and there's nothing about the fact that the mother told them not to visit. Yeah, it's very much you didn't you didn't make any effort with me. It was on them for not coming. That was weird that they they wouldn't see their mother, but okay. In like twelve years, back at the house, she figures out the cipher from her mother, and that's where she finds the money that she's left her in the painting, as well as the note that says, "Our future is up to us." So and most notably, she finds a lump sum in one painting. painting. Yes, there's no other cipher sounding uh, finding. So it's pretty, yeah, again, there's not a lot of her having to solve things. Yeah, just one. That's it, done. She takes Sherlock's old clothing when he was a kid and cycles off and makes a run for it. She doesn't make a very good boy. Her disguise is pretty weak, I gotta say. Yeah, it's pretty basic. She like ties her hair up and puts it in a hat. Yeah. I wonder, there's a thing about like, she never does anything to her face. No. Which I, mean, I would think would be what? part of a your disguise, but. Yeah, at least draw a bit more eyebrow on or something. I, I, I just thought this is such deviation from the book. I was just going with it. I was thinking where are they going to go where i have they- a weird deduction gone only because i've heard of stuff like this happening so you know she has a skincare line right no i didn't know that what's it called again you need, you need- at boots uh, oh i did florence know- florence it's called yeah i did know that and i'm wondering if there was a point because she never wears like any visible makeup or anything to her face if there was a very specific aspect of her showing her skin in her face very clearly because she also has the skincare brand I might be making that up but I've heard of like mad things like this in contracts for actors because they'll have some sort of other collab or something and they want to represent that too yeah Yeah. that's a fair point to make because, like, when she's the widow and stuff, she never ages herself up. Hmm. Yeah, she never does anything to her face. Or, all. like, add a little dirt to make her look... Because if yeah. she, like, added, like, some soot to her face or something like that, mm-hmm. 
would have yeah. made her a little more believable. She makes her way to the station, which is, I forget the name of it in the book, the weird sounding place. And she sees this very upper class family frantically looking for their son. And she, she takes note of it, but then kind of ignores it. And Mycroft, the flashback to Mycroft discovering that Enola is missing. And she does the very like cliche pillows under the bed. Sheet. With the picture of him on it. As well. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's in the carriage and notices there's a carpet bag um, in there with her. And suddenly you have this knife coming out and it's the vice count breaking out of the bag, which I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how he well I suppose he just dropped the bag off of the port he said he's like bribes someone to get him in there yeah mm-hmm. uh, she makes him leave she's like I don't want to be involved in this get away from me yeah and and then 37 seconds later which they note in the film he comes running back because this baddie the man in the bowler is hunting him and the man, so he attacks him, tries, they're like struggling outside of the train and they're about to die. And then she pulls him back and saves him. And then there's this huge train chase scene. And then they jump off the train and safely land upon a hillside. I already can tell that I hate him. <laughs> yeah. I think he's, he turns out not to be as obnoxious as the guy in the book. Because the guy in the book the guy in the book is like a little kid, just like an annoying 12-year-old. Yeah. Yes, you're right. You're right, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yes, can that. forgive oh. that. This is, this, he's meant to be, I guess, the same age as her. I just hate his, ha- his hair, his swishy hair. <laughs> his swishy hair, which has, a, yeah, it's, it's there for a reason, to be swished and <laughs> look like he does. But I think this part of the film as well, I just realised, like, we are off off piece now. Yeah, we're not we're not talking about this book anymore. Kind of yeah. thing. We're completely somewhere else. They're wandering in this field, and then he starts naming because they need to eat, and he starts naming all these edible plants. Also, there was like a little blooper thing that I read about that the mushroom he names is wrong. Yeah, I'm so glad you say that because they're not princess it's, mushrooms. I think it's a Chantilly mushroom. Or something. something like that yeah no I noticed that when I watched <laughs> it today I was like are they called oh but also my- I was like could you not have gotten the right mushroom or named it as like that seems like a simple thing to do yeah oh yeah because he calls it a princess mushroom yeah. and when he picked it up because he says it first and then picks it up and I thought it was going to be something else and then he holds it like, is that it's called that doesn't seem like something that like for the story it matters <laughs> yeah just call it the right thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We move on. They're eating by the fire and she's cutting his hair, reveals his background. And he talks about the expectations his parents have for him and about how he's about to take the, his seat at the House of Lords, which also looking up, you can't take your seat at the House of Lords until you're 21. Okay. So and he is meant to be 16, right? I get. I don't know if they actually ever say that. <laughs> no, I think he's sixteen, and they were just pump, bumping up the. Yeah. Maybe his father died, right? His father's yeah. dead. Yeah. Maybe so his father pump. died. I already like at this point, and we're only at the beginning of this. I was like, I cannot with this romance. Yes. I was I'm not there for it. 
I could I, see what they were doing and I was not there. I was, I spent the whole film denying to myself that it would happen. Yeah. Like thinking, no, she's going to be strong. This is not going to be a romance. This is going to be some strong friendship. <laughs> I was there like, I'm Completely watching. Completely platonic. <laughs> yeah. She's going to find a decent man that she loves somewhere else. Yes. Mm. Now, they do not fulfill those desires. They do what we don't want them to do. So mm. they hitch a ride on a wagon to get to London. And I thought this was a bit lazy. Like, she's in her trousers with her hair exposed out in public. I can't really remember noticing that. But... And she, like, puts her cap on once they get off the wagon but she's clearly a girl. Like the yeah. costume of her trying to be a boy was so unconvincing and yeah. a little bit annoying. So, yeah. and then he gets his haircut and I was like, this is a dreadfully modern haircut he has. <laughs> yep. He's like cool 90s, re- rehash of the 90s boy. With that I, bet, I bet he wears a lot of Supreme sweaters. <laughs> cool streetwear hoodies. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. Type G. Yes, I, I, and also for like something she cut with a knife. <laughs> I have to say that noise of like the shearing on his hair. Oh, that made me. That gives me goosebumps now. Just yes. thinking of that noise. Oh, I can't handle it. It's horrible. So they're in London, and she's like, "You're on your own, dude. I have to do my thing." And she's walking around London, being shocked by how dirty it is, while I'm being shocked by how clean it is. Yes, I'm glad we agree on this because I also thought that this is where, like I said before, that moment in the book where everything turns and the bleakness of what she expects London, the the gold that she expects London to be, and it's so bleak. Mm -hmm. This felt like, to be honest, I hadn't even realised she'd reached London. I thought they were still in the countryside. Yeah. Because it looked like the station that they started off in. Just clean, spacious just yeah. a few more people that was it there was no contrast to the and also like the woman who's supposed to be like the creeper woman in the book I don't, she, like she's meant to have scabs but she's just a bit dirty she because you specifically kind of look at her this one woman like this is it was just kind of lame yeah I gen because the book goes from bright and sparkly to some really dark place of people crawling on the ground. Yeah. I thought the film would do that as well. I thought the film would take it from this, you know, fun kind of light place to really dark, but there's no one crawling on the ground. No. There's hardly any poverty at all. There's like one kid that says, oh, I'm hungry, mum," And then the mum says, I know, that's it. And you yeah. don't even see their face. They're walking away. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the extent of the poverty that we I'll see. I'll live in this Victorian London. <laughs> Seems quite right. safe. With those crinolels, whatever they're called, the big skirts that aren't chronologically correct. (laughs) Then you flash to Sherlock and Mycroft. They're in the club and they're discussing um, the Marquis case. You see where they're at and then you get to her and she's shopping for a dress from this old woman who would be the old woman in the book. And I hated this dress that she was wearing. The red one. The red dress. I was like, is this Moulin Rouge? Are you dancing on a stage? Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan either. Because it it also makes her stand out so much in this bright red dress. In like this kind of 
the very obvious thing if she was a home she would want to blend in yeah so why she would wear something that kind of looks like it's meant for a prostitute <laughs> yeah it's very very eye-catching isn't it I mean I kind of feel like she they chose this dress so they could use it on the front of the Netflix cup or they could use it on the front of the poster yes film, and how because having both done a little research on the fashion of the period it's so bizarre how low cut it is because it's like the yeah. norm is to have like a collar yeah there is no real low cut fashion of that time boobage there's no boobage like she's tiny her chest is pretty flat you just have a little bit of cleavage but yeah i didn't i didn't like this look and i know it's so iconic in the film they really try and make it a thing she manages to find lodgings in this sort of scuzzy building and I also noted that there's this like really bad CGI version of a train. Did you see that? No, I didn't. It's like because you're you. It's like a night shot of the gritty streets of London, and then there's this like train passing by, but you can tell it's like a digital train that they've I missed there. it. Didn't didn't clock that. Sort of cheap looking. Then she places the secret note for her mom. And she goes to a local tea room because she remembers this address that her mom used to write to all the time. I got, I, this scene was a mess for me. Yeah, so, yeah. all of this scene. It was so confusing. Yeah. So she meets this woman who says, oh, don't you remember me? I was your first teacher. And then, and then Enola was like, hugs her. And it's a little bit all over the place. So she's going to this address, this woman, Edith, who she never introduces herself to her because she never says her name. So you just see that one flash to the letter which has her name on it that she's writing to. But then she tells her that she was her first teacher, meaning teaching her jiu-jitsu, which you have no reference to her flashback. And it seems bizarre that the character never mentions it mentions like instead why don't you say i'm going to go see this woman that taught me how to fight when i was a kid yeah i don't remember there being in the montages of her growing up in the house you have her playing tennis you have her doing the chemistry yeah. you have her reading i don't remember there ever being a montage of her fighting her mum yeah. early on in the film no there's no reference to it whatsoever the first you hear about it is this um, dojo that they've she yeah. have above a tea shop but apparently she knows her and then she's forgot and then she remembers yeah it doesn't doesn't make any sense it's I found <laughs> it so confusing I like all they needed to do was instead they could have just said oh I'm a friend oh you must be Dora's daughter yeah but to say like oh I taught you how to do jujitsu was very yeah it doesn't make any sense because just admit it. And also the fact that she never actually says her name to Nola is like, hi, my name is. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I found it really awkward. So then you, she has this jujitsu secret classroom above the tea room. And then she flashes back to her mother's friends in the house and realizes they were wearing suffragette badges and that they are part of the women's suffragette movement. And she also notices that they have dynamite in the office of this jujitsu place. 
and she pieces together. And no, I suppose I will give it to her that this bit, bit is a bit of deductive reasoning in that the names that they were mentioning were actually the names for Embankment, Bethnal Green, and Limehouse Lane. And that yeah. leads her to Limehouse Lane. Yeah, I think that we start to get, it's pretty late in the film, it's, it's around this time that we start to get the, the information that the House of Lords is doing a vote to help all citizens, but at the time means it's all... It's a men. social reform. Yeah, uh, social reform. So we don't have any of that in the beginning of the film, but we start to get that when she meets the... Do you want me to give you a little history lesson on this? Yes, please. Okay, so... The social reform that they're talking about is the representation of the People's Act 1884, which is probably why they shifted the film back a few years. And it grants that all adult householders and men rented who rent unfurnished lodgings to the value of 10 pounds a year get the right to vote. And it was meant to extend the rights of the vote to more rural counties. And the originally the House of Commons accepted the bill and then the House of Lords rejected it. And it was only because the leader of the Liberal Party, I forget his name at the time, managed to negotiate a compromise with the Conservative-run House to allow it to pass. Wow. So weird to think that it just wasn't a thing. Just being able to vote just wasn't a thing. <laughs> and it wasn't until, even with this passing, it was still 40% of the male population could not vote as well as women not being able to vote even with this social reform. And it wasn't until the act of 1918 that allowed women the right to vote. Jeez. I, and we'll see this further along in the film. I liked the idea that in history, it was only because they managed to negotiate and compromise and work together that they passed this bill or mm. act or whatever, rather than one vote. Yeah. Also, I just thinking about it, just, we get to learn that it's his one vote that swings it, right? Yes. Him, Chewsbury. Um, what I think would have been a more powerful image is that he, because at one point she asks him, how would you vote for this thing? Mm -hmm. How would you vote in this thing? And he goes, I don't know, the same way my father would have done. I hate that line. That's yeah. awful. Because what would have been stronger is if he's like, I want this to be available to everybody. The yeah. experiences I've had has helped me realize that everyone needs a voice. And yet it's not. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, let's do what my dad does. So instead, they should have made his dad a conservative who like died and re he was rebelling against his dad and being more liberal. Mm. Yeah. Well, so yeah. Something that gave him a little bit more 3D characteristics. Because also, like, I understand that the idea of one vote is to do with the current climate in trying to make sure people vote and understand the power of voting. I didn't even get that. Oh. I thought it was a weak story plot. <laughs> I just thought it was really weak. Didn't, didn't read. <laughs> really like that. So back to the what's happening. So she goes to the docks and she manages to find this building that has a purple ribbon on the door that's conveniently unlocked. Yeah. And she discovers a laboratory where they've been making bombs. And as she's leaving, the man in the bowler hat assaults her and tries to drown her. And then I'm sort of like, where's your jujitsu training now? Comes out, though. Yeah, it comes out. So, you know, her jujitsu comes out and she starts fighting him and kind of she kicks him. And then he stabs her and her corset saves her, which is the same as the book. She runs back into the building 
and she lights a flame and sort of sets building a fire to distract him and manages to escape and then goes back to her room. Then we don't see her traveling, but she goes back to Basil Weather Hall, dressed as a widow. Yep. With a fabulous veil. Fabulous veil, but in agreeing with the video that both you and I watched, that hat was very odd. <laughs> yes, yeah, the hat was odd. Um, the whole dress was odd, actually, to yes. be honest. I wasn't too much of a fan. So she is Miss May Beatrice Posey, and she tries to pose as a lady detective, but then she runs into Lestrade. And his the family is not really buying it. So she talks to the she talks the gardener into giving her his clothes so she can kind of wander around the estate and then we flash back to Sherlock meeting Edith because he's trying to find Enola and she says a line that is I think very poignant I quite like this dialogue with them where she says Edith says to Sherlock you don't know what it is to be without power politics don't interest you why because you have no interest in changing a world that suits you so well yeah and then, I, yes, I thought that was a pretty powerful moment. And it's also delivered amazingly. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not crass or too much. But then she, doesn't she go on to say something else like, um, oh, she says something after that as well. Mm, I've forgotten. But I, <sighs> no, I think she did a very good job at making a point about giving the point to Sherlock of allowing Enola her freedom to try and change the world rather than just shoving her into some school. Edith says something like, you're smart enough to know that I'm right. Yes. As if you already, you know this, you know this is already the case. Then we flash to Mycroft and we see him getting, oh, maybe I got this wrong. Maybe this is after she leaves, but it's he's talking to Lestrade. Oh no, it is right. Cause he's talking to Lestrade and Lestrade is telling him about the widow that he's run into who they realize is Enola. Yeah, he's having the shave at this time, isn't yeah. he? Weird scene. <laughs> I don't know if that's happening. Enola finds the Viscount's hideaway, which is quite impressive in the film. Very elaborate uh, treehouse. Yes. And she runs into his grandmother and they start chatting. And I notated the line that the grandmother says, England's true glory is what it is, <laughs> which is meant yeah. to be a bit of a clue. So at this point, I'm going to say, at this point, I'm thinking the mother, the grandmother is all for reform. She's talking about the beauty is what it is. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I'm thinking, like, she knows Enola is not, mm-hmm. like, a widow. I, I, I get this feeling, and it's done purposefully, but I get this feeling that the grandmother sees through what she's trying to do. Yeah. Well, and as well that she doesn't, like, call her out you know she's yeah. just like a boy and that would be very weird for a conservative woman yeah exactly so in what happens eventually it seems a bit bizarre because she seems so accepting of Enola mm. so she then manages to find Tuki he's not called Tuki in the film but I'm just gonna call him that because I can't say his full name yeah I think that's what we'll call him yeah so she finds him at Covent Garden working in the flower market and warns him that he's in danger and for her to him to come with her I kind of I'm starting to get annoyed also with her long hair her keeping oh her hair God, on all the Sarah. time I was thinking exactly the same thing because it it makes her I like I was looking at so many photo references of 
Victorian clothing, never is there a scene of a woman with her hair down like that. No, never. At least they have like a bun or something. It's really jarring to look at. This, yes. This, this is the kind of American saccharine, um, or like Hollywood, I shouldn't say. Yeah. American, Hollywood saccharine look I thought it was going to go for. Like mm-hmm. flowing hair on the mall. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, I wasn't ready for it. And they, at some points they thought, I thought it was going to look fine. And then at some points like that, it's just jarring. It's jarring. But they make it even, They she looks very like flower child. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And as well, I'm just like, this romance, please stop. Stop. <laughs> oh, it makes me, it gives me the creeps as well. So, because they go to her room together and she convinces him that he's in danger and they need to do something about it. And he tells her the story about his dad died from a botched burglary. He's when they're talking about this, the man sneaks up on them. And it's such a creepy shot when the hand is going around the door. Yeah. Mm. And it's Lestrade. And then it's the lady who sold her the clothes who gave her up. Mm. And they're trying to stop him from getting in and then she tells the uh, Tuki to run away and she gives herself up and then we flash to Mycroft and Anola in the carriage and there's this huge sort of fight between them and this is when she starts crying because he's forcing her to go to boarding school finishing school and they out for outfit her in this pilgrim outfit yeah which nice was so bizarre yeah yeah <laughs> even to like I feel like there's a better way to portray like a conservative outfit. Yeah. It this jarred with me just as much as her flower child look as well. Just, because I don't know, maybe it was like a money thing because it was so cheap because it's just like a black dress with the collar stone on. And I wonder if it was like, we need like a cheap solution to show her in this like very suppressive boarding Yeah, to have a juxtaposed mm-hmm. to her other outfits. Yeah. I'll give it. I did not like that. And so you have a few flashes of her in the school and how awful it is. I don't know how long she's meant to be there. And then she has a scene where Charlotte comes to visit her and she's an even even longer caller for some reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. <laughs> and it's like this, I don't know, it's like going over yeah. her head. It's so bizarre. Yeah, it's a bib. It's weird. She accuses him of, of getting emotional with her. Which was, I don't know, if I thought this, I didn't think this dialogue was especially good. Weird exchange, yeah. Well, this is, and I, I did write it down, sort of the details of it. This is the whole thing about the estate of Holmes, well, of Arthur Conan Doyle suing them for making Sherlock have emotions. Yeah. And then she gets a delivery from Ferndale, her where she lived and it's actually the uh, Tuki hiding in this wicker trunk come to rescue her and then weak yeah just yeah <laughs> weak plot I guess plot I did like and this is just more a bit of editing I did like the flashes flashbacks to her mum and her memory like cutting her sort of looking at her mum yeah so she manages to hide in the trunk and escape, and then they steal the automobile. To escape. Yeah. Also, when he's like, do you know how to drive this thing? She's like, yeah. Like, again, I do not think she would ever have been on an automobile. No, but that was the moment I realized why 
it didn't it didn't work to have that automobile there but yeah. that's the reason it was there mm-hmm. so they could do a car chase <laughs> essentially a car chase escape and I thought uh, that bit really yeah I don't know the whole that whole scene fell for me the one bit I did like was how she gets into the wicker basket mm-hmm. with so much with so much uh, enthusiasm and then instantly says no 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 it's not gonna work <laughs> like, <laughs> a moment of real actual thought about it mm-hmm. um but yeah the whole thing is pointless it's yeah pointless it's funny i guess but it's all pointless to the story as well and we did oh to ask you as a real british person did you think her accent was on par with everyone else yeah i thought it was fine yeah okay i had I to don't... check that she was english because if she'd been american well I that's what i'm thinking funny. because she's been doing stranger things since she was quite young and probably been living in the states since she's quite young she doesn't sound as british as everyone else i did notice that the you'd think that that time they would speak di- differently so yeah. her act, the way she talks is very modern yes which is a factor of just making a film about that era now so you kind of i, I don't know yeah i didn't notice anything particularly jarring about her accent they get to Basilweather Hall. And at this point, I'm thinking that it's the uncle that's trying to kill him because he's the next in line to inherit. So my logic is like, oh, he wants to inherit the seat or whatever. So yeah. the uncle. They make you think that. I thought the same. That's where it's bleeding. The man in the bowler hat is at the house to meet them and he has a gun. She, she manages to knock him over and kill him after this very wrought out fight scene and i was kind of surprised they did that up close shot of him falling on the pine cone thingy yeah it's a bit a lot isn't it it's like quite shocking yes looking temple goes in it's really gross and i was even more impressed that he manages to stay alive to say the word england i yeah it was a bit weird, wasn't it? I was, I, I was expecting, I was like, he's dead by the time he's like kind of impaled his brain or whatever at that point. Mm. Oh, it makes you shiver. Actually. Yeah, I, that was, felt unnecessary. They didn't really need to show that because it didn't really work with like up until then, it had been pretty clean. Yeah, especially compared to the book as well. Yes. The book is much more gruesome. And I thought that was, didn't really fit into the tone of the rest of the film. And then we find out it's the grandmother. Mm. We find out because she shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, as well, it's pretty graphically done as well. Seeing as he, okay, spoiler, but he has like a, he does a Bill and Ted. Yeah. Is it a Bill and Ted? Or like Martin at Fly does this metal sheet because there's these big metal, um, what are they called? Like knights. Yeah. So he's taken something off that so he can wear it. Um, and then he gets Why would he know to do that? <laughs> I don't know. That was because my other he, thing. Nothing has clued him into this. No, because they hear her clawing, like clop, clop, clop. She's got a walking stick. And so in the, in the moment that she bends down to pick up the gun, he must have somehow put on that thing. Yeah. The whole like clip, clip, clip. And then he, she's speaking to Enola as well, isn't she? Because mm-hmm. I did think, like, when did you have... Have you been wearing that the whole time? I know. <laughs> when did you put that on? And also, you'd have to take off your top 
Yeah. So Enola has obviously seen you lot like, take off your top so you can put a metal sheet on. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't, I didn't get it. It, it was very fun. convenient. It seemed, it, I felt like we missed something for him to realize that he needed to wear like a, a his version of a bulletproof jacket. But as well, to, to because it's so different from the book, there was a moment where I thought he was dead. Me that, too. That's how the, the, the oh, okay, good. Because I thought yeah. that's how this film is going to end, that she is alone. She loved this guy. <laughs> He's died. She is alone. Like, that's where I thought it was going. But no, 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 no. He's, he lives. He still lives. All he good lives. love stories, they, they're alive at the end. They have a little handy-holdy moment. Yeah. God, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Such a cynic. Ooh. So, essentially, we've realised that it's because the grandmother didn't want him to vote for the social reform and keep England the way it is. That's why she has to kill him. Seems a bit extreme. Yeah, like it would have been another way to convince him. Well, her, the whole thing at the beginning of the film is that they want him to go into the army, which I think is a way of avoiding him going into the House of Lords. But because he wouldn't do that, yeah, the, the other option is that you kill your grandson. <laughs> Steep, isn't it? Yeah, I don't. I just it kind of like zigged and zagged and didn't really connect the dots for me. Yeah. Then we flash back. We're at Scotland Yard. Sherlock's there, and he's like, "I've solved it. It's the grandmother." And Lestrade is like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, "That's all right." Well, how did your sister figure it out before you did? (laughs) I don't know if she actually figured it out. They were going. She was, she was just there. There's also a moment where they're escaping the school and she goes to a crossroad and she has a flashback of her mum saying, sometimes you've got to make a hard decision. So it's almost saying as if Enola is the one dragging Tuki home so that all of this madness can stop. Yeah. So it's not like she's thought that it's the grandma. It's almost like, oh, we'll have to take Tuki home. And then they just happen to be there and the grandma wants to kill them. Yeah do it herself as she says so yeah she hasn't deduced anything (laughs) Sherlock has done it himself yes I like the moment where Sherlock is walking out and he just ha he does I know that was that was quite funny that feels like Henry Cavill even if you aren't necessarily the Sherlock Holmes I would imagine you're still quite good Yeah, yeah 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 I agree he's nice yeah I mean it essentially took the grandmother shooting him in the chest for her to realize what was going on Mm-hmm. Then with her hair flowing everywhere, mm-hmm. flow, flow, flow. Mm-hmm. This is very much making me flash back to Emma Watson in Little Women, which I know you didn't see, but I think you've seen the images of her. She has her hair exactly like this. Yeah. So perfect, enough. perfect, like wavy curls with highlights. Yeah. That, that moment, that end scene really jarred with me because of the way she looks. She looks beautiful does not look in the time. Also, she has like a boat neck top and her dress is quite 1920s, I feel like almost. Yeah, it really didn't suit anything really. Especially up against him as well, because mm-hmm. he's really Victorian kind of mm-hmm. top hat. Yeah. I thought the mother's outfits were the best. His mum. Yeah. They seemed, even if they weren't perfectly accurate, they seemed the closest to what the outfits really needed to be. And it felt like a period drama her mm-hmm. outfits rather yeah. than just some sort of mishmash of that's the other thing it didn't feel like a period drama no 
I would say. Okay. Then they had this little, uh, I don't know, chit chat where he talks about his vote and they, he was like, but how will you find me? And she was like, I'll find you. And then they hold hands and they look into each other lovingly. Mm-hmm. And I vomited my mouth slightly. <laughs> But Nora, that's not where the film ends. No. <laughs> no. I mean, thankfully, that's not where it ends. But she goes on end. and she finds a note in the newspaper from her mother. But it's, that's not my mother. She wouldn't say that. It's a setup. So it must be my scheming, annoying big brothers. They, Sherlock and Mycroft are at the Royal Academy because that's where they wanted her to meet them. And she manages to steal some more boy clothes. <laughs> and hides out while the two of them are meeting and they sort of discuss her and they make the mention about Tukey and how they might marry <laughs> just all right and I guess they kind of decide to let her be yeah well, they just don't know what to do yeah so they're just like yeah she'll do what she wants Let's let our six-year-old little sister run the streets of London on her own. Because they don't know that she has money either. Yeah, no, she doesn't. They don't, actually. Um, Because I was going to say, there's a part of in the beginning where Sherlock voices how concerned he is for her by Mm -hmm. saying, oh, she's 16. So this moment is so different. Maybe it's meant to be that Sherlock now understands that she's okay. Mm -hmm. Because he sees the little dash. She's left him the little pine cone. Oh, yeah, that was quite sweet. So he, I think maybe there's meant to suggest that Sherlock knows that she'll be fine on her own. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they don't know anything else. <laughs> it's a bit of a loop. I do think maybe he noticed her on the side and didn't say anything. He realized that she was probably there. Hmm. Yeah. So she goes back to her new lodging and then her mom is there and they have a really nice hug. And she had sort of realized what her mom is doing right now, that she's a part of the suffragette movement. And she's, and then her mom is like, I didn't realize that it would be you who would really make the change in reference to getting Tuki to vote for the social reform. Hmm. And then that's it. Well, no, there's like a, sorry, there's a scene at the end where she's like on her bicycle, which she can't cycle, I say in air quotes, and just sort of talking about her new life and reflecting it back on everything and being like, I'm good. Yeah. And then that's the end of the film. So yeah. I want to know, are they scheduling any other Enola Holmes films? They haven't, but I think there's been rumours. I mean, there's six books. so I don't see why it, it kind of lends itself. It could be a series of films. I, because I thought actually it could have ended on a cliffhanger, mm-hmm. like the book does. But yeah. it doesn't. It no. purposefully ties up the knot. So I thought maybe they are, the whole point of this is that it's a one-shot film, which would have made it difficult, I don't know, it would have to be a completely new film, new setup to be a second one. I mean, I think they're doing it because if they don't get the green light for another film, they don't want to be stuck with a film that doesn't end, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fair. But there's still room for doing more. Yeah, the fact that she meets her mum at the end, rather than kind of being left, oh, eventually she'll find her mum, but... And there's nothing about her like opening her own detective agency or anything. Again, she's not really a detective in this film. No, not at all. Sorry. I would 
we talk about it, the costumes a little bit. I would recommend to everyone to look at Carolina Zabrowska's video analyzing the film, which we both watched. And I think she did a really good job analyzing the outfits. And just it's kind of a little bit all over the place in the 1800s, the different outfits. And I don't know if it's like a money thing, because like they talk about the extras outfits kind of being more Edwardian and it's whatever costumes maybe they had access to. I, yeah, I didn't really love her outfits. It just was a little bit jarring for me. And again, I think Lady Tewksbury's outfit was the best. Yeah, and I, but I think for me, all of that, I recognize that it was a bit jarring, but the whole thing was a stream of fantasy that mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily grounded in a specific era of time. And I even, I had even questioned the time period of the suffragette movement with the reform so i thought they were sort of scrunching up time they were making it closer yeah and everything a little bit more fantastical rather than which to me why the costumes i I sort of figured it that just tracked yeah it tracks it's fantasy world fantasy london so i know the women's suffragette movement in england was much more violent than it was in the states So I just double checking when it sort of started. Uh, So it's 1872 is when women's suffragette became a movement in England. So it works that she would be a part of that. And I think, of course, that's an element. I wonder if that's that actually features. Has this film spoiled the end of the series? Yes, (laughs) I, I do. I kind of feel like maybe there's some things that they're pulling from future books. Yeah. Because I, I liked how the film folded in the kind of social justice message. Yeah, how- I do. I did enjoy that. I think truly, I would have. It would have been nice if they were a little more accurate. But yeah, and I also think it could have been a bit more, um, a little bit more gritty, mm-hmm. because it kind of made it to think that her mum was making bombs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of just a slapstick fight scene or there's not it didn't feel like there was a lot of weight to these realizations that her mum was involved in this incredible violent yet really important movement I, I don't I never got that that of the film the film was consistently light where it could have gone a bit darker except smashing the head into the I thing. felt like it was a bit confused like it kind of thought oh maybe we should go gritty but also this is meant to be a kids movie so we can't go all the way and talk about like bomb making so there was no consistency of it being a really glossy film versus being something a bit more gritty. Yeah, yeah, that you've nailed it. Glossy is the word I would use this entire thing. Like it never goes anywhere deep. It, yes, yeah, so I agree that I, I enjoyed, I think the best chain for me was threading in the historical events of social reform mm. versus in the book. I didn't like the fact that none of the mysteries are actually solved with any clues or like problem solving. Yeah, it's a character piece, isn't it? It's like, it's just about Enola's journey. Yeah, well, it's a film for Millie Bobby Brown, I guess, to feature herself really rather than... Yeah. And that she falls in love with the first boy she meets. It's just, ugh. (laughs) No, I I wasn't there for this in that film. I wasn't there for it. I was saying to Sarah that the message of the film is to like think for yourself, but once you actually start thinking for yourself about the film, it falls apart. (laughs) 
yeah. yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it could have ticked a lot of boxes about being an independent woman, I guess, but it just didn't, didn't do any of that. I did want to briefly mention, so there's a ongoing lawsuit, as far as I know, from the Arthur Conan Doyle estate against the author and the- I read about this The production company. So citing copyright and trademark infringement in regards to the final 10 stories of Arthur Conan Doyle, which have not been published into public domain, which seems kind of strategic, which allows them to continue to own the rights. And the, it references that Holmes is becoming, becoming more emotional and presenting more of a human side to Sherlock that he was not known to present in the original works prior to the character's recent resurrection. So the current series, the Enola Holmes series, violates the trademark and copyright on the particular depiction of Holmes as the stories are still in a time of transition between copyright and public domain. This is very odd. What they're basically saying is that she's in breach of copyright because they've stuck to the character. If she changed the character to make him a bit more, just a different personality, it wouldn't have been copyright infringement. It's so bizarre. I don't, I don't really get it. So it's, so apparently what they're saying and in the books, in the stories that haven't been published, he's more emotional that no one has read, but no one knows that. And because she's sticking him to the original depiction of him, yeah, she's violating the accurate description because it hasn't been established that he's more emotional so is this going to be like she could claim if they don't put a lawsuit in she could claim that she was the one who started to warm up sherlock because she's publishing it before they do what they're saying is oh no 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 no, we came up with it first it's just not been launched so you're (laughs) you're encrypting you're violating trademark and copyright because we had this idea we just haven't made it public I don't, I don't know what they're suing them for. Are they suing them for damages? Do they want them to like take the material off the market? What do they want though out of this? This is very interesting. Like the book has been published for over 10 years. Yeah. Also. <laughs> it came out in 2007. You had time to sue before that. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah, before there was a Netflix pickup yeah. or a Warner Brothers pickup and all of this. But you'd also think that surely this. Do you think they're suing for royalties? Do you think they're suing for like a little bit of money from the Enola Holmes movie? Maybe, but she's not a character in the Sherlock Holmes books. He's not the lead. Yeah, it's very, it is very odd that, because I guess you could kind of put this in the same box as fan fiction, right? Yes, I think that's what it is though. Yeah. You can't go around suing people for fan fiction just because she made a load of money off this. Good for her. But I don't even think it would be that insane of amount of money that it'd be worth it. I would think Sherlock Holmes makes more money than this little book. Yeah, exactly. It's very, I don't get it. But it adds a bit of spice and drama to the whole thing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'm awful. Do you have any more comments about it? Um, No, we've pretty much covered everything. I think 
I was very surprised at the, the twist and turn away from the book because I was so happy with the book being yeah. quite short and, and sweet. And then it just took a couple of moments in the film where I realised this is going to be, this is something completely different. This is not, which is funny that we refer to it's the same screenplay writer as Radioactive. Because Radioactive was an absolute flop where I we felt that he was taking it down a completely different route. Problem is that sh- that was a real person's life. You don't take yeah. it down a different route. <laughs> like this life- guy really loves to fudge with history, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it is. He just wants to rewrite history. Whereas this, I just got the feeling that it was a fantasy. Do you Where- think it's a good adaptation? Yeah, it's. Would you call it? Is it an adaptation if you change the storyline? I think enough of it's still there. I mean, the main change is the bit about the suffragette movement and then amping up her relationship with the Tukis. But, uh, no, I would say that he, his whole family wanting to kill him. Well, that, yes. <laughs> that's the crux because in the, in the book, mm-hmm. it's just somebody trying to capitalize on him running away. So it's I nothing- still recognize the story. Yeah, no, I, that, there are threads that are the same, but I think that they are really, they took a different route altogether. But he, he st- I mean, he still was given the book and he adapted it, so. Yeah, I, I was I was happy to hear that the author, Springer, is okay with the film yeah. as well. She's quite happy with the way that they did if it. If she's okay with it, I can be okay with it, even <laughs> if I don't agree. My other two points was, I did think the film was about half an hour too long. Yes. I think they could have, why is she going back and forth? Mm-hmm. You could have cut out the entire scene with the widow, her being the yeah. widow. I don't know, it just didn't fit in the... Well, I think that is like an element of the book where they're like, oh, that's a cool costume that we could do. Yeah. I also think that Helena Bonham Carter was not as bad as I... No. Well, she I... was barely there. So. <laughs> yeah, that helped. <laughs> Definitely helped. She wasn't like most of her scenes were her not talking or saying like one line. Yeah. But I think they also fudged a lot of time getting her to dress as a boy. Why? Why? It was very bizarre. Because, yeah, I I didn't understand that plot. Are they trying to make a contrast of, oh, you have to be a boy to get around in this world? Is that what the- Yeah, that's a good analysis. I hadn't thought of that, that it's easier to be a man. And then, of course, how the contrast of how you have to wear a corset and they're so restrictive. And me and you are thinking that like, no, 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 no. stop, stop, stop. This is this is trash. This is the Hollywood trash. Yeah, that doesn't take into account of how real women were dressing at the time. What is your rose and thorn for the? I think the rose. I, don't, I can never answer this question succinctly. I think the rose was how the book takes a turn. Mm-hmm. So it's very unexpected. The whole mood changes, but not in a way that's jarring. It's really quite like, takes a steep decline and it becomes a thriller. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's my, that's my rose. And then the thorn, I think, was the maybe just the fantastical romance version of the film. Yeah. No, I'm not here. For, I can't bother with that. I think it's too much. Yeah, you? 
the rose i loved her internal monologue of how her thinking through things in the book like her talking about her building her outfit and using her mother's clothes and her problem solving i thought was really good which takes up a lot of the book and i appreciated that also to like give the film some kudos i really i as we mentioned before i like how they threaded through the the suffragette movement as part of the storyline i did think that was clever Mm. i despised the soppy teen romance yeah that is that was definitely like hollywood getting its claws into it yeah a bit like radioactive isn't it definitely he thinks they they must think the screenplay writer must think that you need to have this Mm -hmm. to draw audience no you don't yeah nobody's asking for that i just get him away from (laughs) our movies please about women yeah get away (laughs) no they they really should have not that a you know woman would be better, but they could have had a woman write this. You have a man directing it, and also the fact this man directed Killing Eve and yeah. Fleabag. Come on, you know some really kick-ass women that could have written something for this movie. Yeah, and then for the book, I, I we talked about before. I think the ending was a little bit rushed. They could have added maybe an, another chapter to kind of flesh out how. She got to where she was. I wonder how the other books are set up, if they're better paced. Yeah. Because in this one, you have to put stack up a lot of like history and the uh, world building. Yeah. So maybe the, one, the others are better paced. Mm-hmm. That's it. Thank mm-hmm. you, Laura. No, oh, thank you. Good. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I, it was a good read. And yeah. I like the idea that we've had quite two different experiences with the book and the film mm-hmm. so there's a lot to say between yes. the two of them yeah. <laughs> I can never do short episodes there's too much to say too much to say yeah. oh, this is a fun though it was a nice light one I last week's one was really dark and grim so it was nice to have a good little palate cleanser so yeah I listened to your podcast from last week yeah. Yeah, I think and it I was in the house alone last night oh, no should not have been doing it. I should not have been reading it, listening to it. Yeah. No, no, no. So no. this is a good contrast to that. And it was just, it is a cute, charming, fun movie. I would recommend both of them. Yeah. I had a conversation with my aunt and like a 70 year old Italian woman. And she said that this was one of the films because I said that I was, I was watching it. And she said that this is one of the films on her list that her grandchildren have given her to watch. I almost think that she is a perfect audience. Not that the directors assumed this, but she's like, you know, because there's still this element of loving the Englishness. Mm -hmm. It's it's like a soft film, but with like a twist and turns. Perfect for my my aunt. (laughs) It's perfect. It is weird. It's like, I think they missed a beat. Like, I think the age range for this film is actually a lot older. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It's not really, I don't think kids necessarily would be attracted to it. I mean, look at us. I think it's more adult. I thought, I did think at the time, perfect Sunday evening film. Yeah. Which is when I was watching it. Yeah. If it had been a half an hour shorter, it would have been even more perfect. Yeah. It's still good. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I've got to go have some dinner now, Laura. Yeah, me too. That was a long, in-depth, I will never forget this film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe I will.